At six years old, somewhere made a decision that I had to separate from the lively, joyful, emotion-filled child and just become numb and disconnect in order to survive what my reality was. This episode contains discussions of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Shh. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gamp. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets you probably want to go to your grave with, or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Sharla. Now, Sharla, I have a question for you. Ooh, dun dun dun. Right. <laughs> what is your secret? Okay, so my secret for today mm-hmm. um, is that up until about, I've got two children, and up until about two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. I was so disconnected um, that I honestly could have walked away from them and not felt bad. Wow. I mean, I, you know, I have a child too. And there are some moments that I'm like, I just want to pack my stuff and walk out the door. (laughs) Right. So how old are your children? Uh, So my daughter just turned 17 and my son turned 10. Mm. So when did that feeling of disconnection start for you? It actually... So it actually started back when I was like six years old. Really? Um, Yeah. And I, at one point, just through therapy and and self-discovery kind of stuff, I figured out that at six years old, somewhere made a decision that I had to separate from the lively, joyful, emotion-filled child and just become numb and disconnect in order to survive what my Mm. reality was. So, and... Once I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, mm-hmm. I was still living like an, in a numb place, although I, I kind of knew it, but didn't know it. And um, when I got pregnant with her, I had just gotten married and yeah, it was just a lot going on and I was actually going through some depression. And so I just, I didn't even connect while I was pregnant with her. And I remember looking at her when she was like 10 months old going, that's my kid. Yeah, you know, went through all the, the motions of everything, but just never really, never really connected. So it happened at six. Did something? You know, we usually disconnect with something traumatic happen, or was it just your childhood in general? Um, it was childhood in general. Um, there, you know, the uh, trauma. You know, we yeah. all have traumas, and we all respond to different things differently, right? And right. 
Yeah. So there had been things and I blocked, I've blocked a lot out um, of my life, but there was, there was definitely, there was abuse and neglect and lack of affection and all of those things. So yeah, it's, at one point I just like walked away from myself even basically. Wow. I mean, I've had moments of that too. I, I, in therapy, even when I started my journey, I remember my therapist would ask me a question and I'd be like, I don't remember that age. Like I just, it, it was like a black curtain and I could mm-hmm. never get through that door. Is that how you blocked it out? Or you just yeah. didn't even think about it? Yeah. It's like, uh, like there's certain moments that I can remember, but like I did some EMDR therapy and mm-hmm. some of the stuff that I, that was coming back was like, Oh my gosh. Like, wow. Can you tell um, us any of them? Um, so there were instances with a family member that were just physically abusive, just physically, oh. physically abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one time when I even had like a friend over and she was the last time I had a girlfriend stay the night because she got to hear some of the stuff that would happen to me, you know, and it wasn't even like on a regular basis. The stuff that I remember was, you know, years between the things I remember. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, like physical, she heard the physical abuse. And so like, I stopped having friends at that point. I just shut um, down. Yeah. And then over time, you know, there was, I even like, I lost my virginity to rape and, but a lot of that stuff makes sense to me now looking back. How old were you when that happened? When I lost my virginity, I was 16. Mm. Yeah, I was 16 and yeah. So, and parts of that I've even blocked out, but yeah. So mainly like physical, physical abuse. Did you tell anybody about the rape after it happened? No. The funny thing is, I don't, I mean, it's not funny. The ironic thing is. It's okay. We can laugh at the most (laughs) uncomfortable moments. I I totally, you're like, ah, the worst (laughs) moment of my life. I'm going to start laughing. (laughs) Well, and I mean, I kind of have a twisted and I don't think I'm alone in this kind of, I think, I don't know. (laughs) What I'm finding is when I open up to people who are like, it's like we have this twisted sense of humor. Like, well, I don't know what it is. Well, we have to make jokes about it because yeah. life has been so hard and we've hit so many horrible things, but sometimes you have to joke about it to get through it or even discuss it. Right. So when this happened, I was actually on my way to Bible camp of all things. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, I didn't tell anybody. And then when I got home, like back to, um, after Bible camp, I got home and I just, when you learn to be numb and you learn to stuff, it's almost automatic, like a light yeah. switch, you know? So it was just, I shoved it back somewhere and I just kept going. And like six months later, I kind of had a little bit of, of a breakdown in mm-hmm. front of my mom. And I think I told her and, you Wait, know, and you think time, you told her, you don't even know if you told her. Yeah, I don't remember. Like, I remember the breakdown and I remember her being there. Okay. But I don't even remember, like, if I told her. But, and then I told somebody else who should, you know, a male figure in my life who should have been in my corner. Mm -hmm. And his response was, well, you probably deserved it. (gasps) 
You're yeah. kidding me. No. And that. That had to crush you. I mean, that just oh, crushes man. me right now, even hearing that. Yeah, it. That was a tough pill to swallow because I was like, I was going to be a virgin until I was married. And that's just how it was. So then I actually like stayed with the guy because of that. After he said tried, that to you? No, no, no. The guy that raped me. I actually <gasps> like tried to date him because my, I know it's such a warped thing because I believed like, okay, I want to be a virgin until I'm married. And well, now this dude has my virginity. Well, I mean, let me try. It was so dumb and it was awful, but. Did you, so did you actually date him? Well, I thought I was. Okay. But you know, I mean, we weren't, he was, you know. He, well, he, he was, was still, what? He was still single. Oh, he was still single and mingling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you actually went and date, dated your rapist to numb mm-hmm. out and maybe even normalize that situation for yourself. Like, you're like, well, he already took my virginity, so I might as well make it a relationship so I normalize it for myself. Well, and so I matter. So what I have figured out is Mm -hmm. like my underlying Mm self-talk, the day that this struck me was so incredibly impactful. My underlying self-talk is, Charlie, you don't matter. Yeah. And so I can look back through all of my history now and see the instances where that was told to me in various ways. Mm -hmm. And then how I myself walked into situations and got used to situations that reinforce that thought process. Yeah. You're re-traumatizing yourself over and over over again. Over and over. To reinforce that you already feel like you're worthless. Right. Yeah. And so for that, you know, there was, I can look back at that now and go, I just, you know, I wanted to matter. Yeah. I didn't want to be just a place he dipped in, got what he wanted, took what I was saving. Yeah. And it didn't matter. Like I wanted to matter. So, yeah. So then you had your child and you felt disconnected to your child. Did did you feel like you were disconnected to your marriage also? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In our marriage, we ended up getting divorced. I think my daughter was about three. Mm -hmm. Um, We ended up getting divorced and yeah. And then... I was married again um, and we had our son and I was a little more connected to him. I just think maturity, age, time, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because when I was pregnant with him, I was a little more, I was more connected. Um, But even after I had him and then my second marriage started falling apart, I hit a time about five years ago where everything just spiraled. Um, everything comes to a head, right? So what works, even if it like unhealthy, even if it works, it has a timeline and eventually becomes destructive. Yeah. And so, yeah, I hit, I hit a destructive mode and, and so the full disconnect of everything, it didn't matter who, what I was just full disconnected. And addicted to a very, very, very horrible relationship. So, yeah, I mean, I can tell you on my end, everything I did up to like one point, it just all stopped. Like I Mm -hmm. couldn't even function. I couldn't, I hit my knees and and was like, I'm either going to be doing this the rest of my life 
or I have to change or I'm going to die. Yeah. Is that the moment that happened for you? Well, I had a moment kind of where like I hit my bathroom floor Mm -hmm. and I was like, God, I am either going to kill myself Mm -hmm. or you need to flip my life upside down. And I was, I was ready to just kill myself. And Fortunately, I don't remember what the exact timeline was, but it was shortly after that, that like I had gone out, I dropped my son off at school and the guy that I was seeing at the time, we, um, went to a bar. It was like eight 30 in the morning, mm-hmm. which right, the entire day. Mm-hmm. I had my mom pick my son up from school because obviously I wouldn't be able to. And then I put my phone away and nobody could get a hold of me. And my mom reported me missing. <laughs> and the cops were like waiting by my apartment. Four cops pulled me over mm-hmm. and arrested me because I was obviously blitzed. And um, the next the next few days, so I was a real estate agent at the time, and my broker had known me prior to prior to the spiral, right. and she had seen me. She had seen my ability to appear as if everything was fine, right? She had seen the faces. Right. So she knew that I, that I was not in a good place because she see. So she basically told me, you either go to rehab or I'm sending your real estate license in. So I said, I'll go to rehab. Mm-hmm. And that's where it all started to change. And, and how long ago was that? That was two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you went to rehab and then mm-hmm. you started, did you start pe- peeling that horrible onion that like <laughs> is torturous <laughs> and you just want to like, oh, disappear into the wall? Yeah, I started. Well, and the funny thing is, is I went because of booze, right? And right. I remember she was taking me to the airport. She came to, my broker came to pick me up and I looked at her, I'm like, booze isn't my problem. Like, people are my problem. I just, the, this addiction to pain, Mm. the pain of it, like the highs. And I I said, I think like, he's the problem. And I mean, now I know. So yeah, I went and they interviewed you for about three or four hours to Mm -hmm. find stuff out. And same like you, it was like, I didn't, I don't remember when they're asking me questions and then certain things I can answer. And here I end up in this sex and love addict's house. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I am not a sex addict. And now I understand under that umbrella is this whole trauma bonding and yeah. all of those things. And, and alcohol was a great numbing agent when the trauma bonding was going on. And so. Yeah, it just amplifies it. It just, everything gets amplified with the alcohol, but. Right. But welcome to the team. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. The club uh, you never wanted to be a part of. <laughs> I know. And it's funny because I have like tried to deny it and hide it. And, so how many know. ways have you done that? How long, oh. how long did it take you until you're like put both feet in the, in the room? Well, so when I went to rehab, I spent 30 days at rehab and then I okay. had a choice um, to either head back home mm-hmm. or go to another location to like a halfway house and, and keep working through some things. So I chose to go somewhere else and keep working through some things. Wow. I that's figured, great. Not a lot of people do that. I have to say that. In, I think in it's vital. Is, oh, I agree. I completely agree. Free, especially for this kind of addiction, you need all those tools. 
Well, you do. And you need the time away. And it's where I actually, so in those, the last two months of that three months away mm-hmm. is where I actually figured it out. Cause I started going to AA meetings and, and I had a sponsor and she was, she was incredible. And at one point I'm like, this isn't connecting this. A, it's just, it isn't connecting. And finally, one day I was able to explain it to her. Like if I handed you a bottle of vodka that had been opened and I told you, you have to carry this around for 24 hours, but you can't, you can't take a sip. Would you be able to do it? And she's like, heck no. And I said, I would, mm-hmm. but instead what I have on my body 24 seven is my phone where I have direct contact to my drug of choice all the time. Yeah. And like her eyes were like, oh my gosh, okay, I get it. So it was there that I found the slaw meetings and Mm -hmm. I, I loved it. I loved it when I was there. The people were so authentic. I felt normal. I could express myself. And then when I got back home where I live, Mm-hmm. none of it exists like there's there aren't meetings there aren't like there aren't therapists that I've been able to find anyway yeah. that are specific to trauma and this kind of thing and you know I need somebody I can be pretty intense and I can be pretty let's dig in there and I need somebody who can call me on my bs yeah. because I can I mean I can convince myself anything I want to that'll work yeah for we're like con- good con con artists is what I yeah. manipulators the, yes. you know we know how to manipulate humans pretty much yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah I dove full force in there and then got back here and I kind of stepped away and almost almost like a false sense of arrival even Mm -hmm. like a little compass with myself even like little ego little pride yeah. (laughs) yeah so it's just been in the last couple months where I have realized like Charlotte you you're basically changing the faces you know like yeah put a bag over their head doesn't matter who they are yeah like this yeah or justifying and isolation you know during during this COVID stuff and quarantine and isolation I mean it can it can be your best friend or it can be your best friend (laughs) (laughs) so in the last few months it's just been I've kind of um I kind of let myself go and now okay. I'm back. I'm back and it feels good. And I've started, you know, you got to pick people. People don't believe me when I say relationships for me can be life or death. Yeah, they are. They, they are. They just are. No, it is like, I, I say this and I've said this before, you know, when I first started doing this work, I remember on my second year, this guy came in and he was like, I could quit heroin, but I can't quit her. Yes. And oh, I just was, got goosebumps. That was such a God shot to me because I, I, it really hit me like, oh, this is like the hardcore. This is like one of the worst addictions because we have to have people in our life, but we have to have tools and boundaries. And when you don't have those, you don't know how to bring it back into your life healthily, you know? Right. It's almost like it's such a torturous, it's, it's torturous because I believe like I found God again when I, when I finally started going to AA meetings. And my belief is that he created us to have connection. And then 
trauma rewires us for protection and we Mm -hmm. put the faces up the masks the walls but standing behind all of that stuff is still that human that just craves and longs for the love and the affection and the connection and the protection and right yeah that little girl is still there like screaming to just be heard and taken care of yeah and so now for me now it's like I need to let go of my pride because what pride does is sacrifices the gift of potentially helping another woman, whether it's women that can't connect to their children because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. And to those listening who do struggle with this, there is hope because you do. Like, I love my kids. The thought of leaving my kids now kills me. Yeah. So there is hope. Don't you feel like it always, when you let go of the ego and the pride, it brings you back to humility? Yeah. It like it humbles like, you and it makes right. you just like, just be wherever you are. Yeah. It's like a grounding. Like I'm not floating up somewhere where I'm supposed to pretend or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's so weird now too, because I just, I don't know. I relate to sex. So di- like sex before wasn't even because it, I don't even know how to explain it. No, try to explain it because I always try to explain it to people, but I want to hear how you can explain it. So for me, like not feeling things and not, I have a really funny relationship with pain to like tattoos. I'd like them because I could feel them. I have 13 tattoos. (gasps) 13. I have a huge full back tattoo that's all white. Like I'm addicted to tattoos when I get, I have 13 I have seven and I want, I want more. If I wasn't an actor, I would be covered in tattoos, like completely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, I got, I I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's the pain of it. It wasn't even for me about like the sex. It's about the buildup to sex. That was for me. Yeah. The anticipation and the buildup in your mind and and the fantasy of it and all that. (laughs) Yeah. And all, it just. And then when it's just like a complete, like you fall on your face, like, what was that for? What? Yeah. It's, it's almost like anticlimactic. Does that mean like, it's like you could throw that part away, even though you're technically addicted to sex. It wasn't ever really about the sex. No, it was never, ever. And now sex, sex. Now, if I'm not intellectually, I no. I mean, if we, if I can't have a conversation, if, I can't, I, I refuse. I just can't do it. Here's my question for you. Cause you're newly in this, you know, you're back into it. Do you feel, and people always think this is a weird question. If you meet somebody and you have that chemistry that like hit, do you feel like that is a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> That's like the one in 100, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, when I sense that currently, mm-hmm. that's a bad thing. Run. That's what I yep. say. Because yep. it's not real. It's not yep. real. And that feeling doesn't sustain a healthy relationship. And it's usually right. chemicals. It's not real. So I always tell people like run. That is not the feeling you want to have. Exactly. Like 
I will literally in my head tell myself, Charlotte, that's the dope hit and that's going to fade. Like you got six months of that and then you're stuck with somebody that you're not, I mean, yeah. That you hate, that you don't want to even be around. (laughs) Well, yeah, that you don't even know anymore because you're not getting that hit. We lie to ourselves and like, oh my gosh, this isn't the person. It's like, no, it's because you bypass the human to get a hit off of them. And now you're not, now we believe that this human isn't, worth trying to get to know now because we aren't getting a hit and yeah yeah it's yeah so it's so di- and I, I was just talking to a friend yesterday I was like if somebody feels normal to me mm-hmm. I have to take note of that because normal isn't safe normal isn't good normal you know so when I meet a guy mm-hmm. and he's weird to me then I have to go okay is he weird because he's weird or is he weird because he's like normal. <laughs> yeah, it's so confusing. It's so, well, that's why they say, you know, especially in this kind of program that you don't date for the first year. You don't, for me, I didn't even have any guy friends. I actually got rid of all my guy friends. I didn't talk, text, or email any guys at all. I would go to a restaurant and sit there and not even look at the waiter when I ordered my food. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I realized that it was an energy I was giving off not even on purpose. It was this energy I was giving off and this intrigue and flirting, even when I didn't want to. Uh, Amen. I totally get it. (laughs) I know. It's like, I I know, like if I walk in a room and the one in 100, I, I mean, it's like, it's the Christmas tree. And I know that that's okay. You need to go turn around. Walk the other way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's just it. The freedom. And, you know, people think it's all these rules. You can't do this, can't, and it's all the fun stuff. And it's like, you know, the stuff that we think is fun is actually so detrimental over time. And it's, it's not rules. It's, I love you. And I, you know, it's like with your kids, right? You teach them, you don't just go barrel into the street. You've got to stop and you've got to look both ways. If I didn't love you, I would tell you, go play in the street. Yeah. Well, and I always tell people when they walk in, yes, I, you're going to feel like your life is going to be boring. We're going to take away all this stuff, but then you're going to have these beautiful boundaries around you that you'll truly be able to live an authentic life where nothing has control over you anymore. You're not on that roller coaster that you can never get off. And that's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. My other last question I really want to ask you is, who do you think this disconnection from life, this addiction, who do you think it benefited and who do you think it harmed? It benefited, well, gosh, I don't think it really benefited anybody. In a moment, I thought it benefited me. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I think it will benefit. So like my daughter and I can talk about some really amazing things now. And she was given, she was given awareness and an ability to understand people from a young age. And so she and I, I don't, I don't hide much from her. I stay age appropriate, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But she and I have some really amazing conversations. And then my son just has a heart for people that is just, and he was born with it. He's been that way ever since he was just a little guy. And I've been able to have some really good conversations with him. So it harmed them. But I believe that this, it's also going to benefit them. Mm. And my last question for anyone listening out there that is in the same place you are, you know, you're, you just started again and, um, you know, trying to find their way in this addiction to humans, 
what would be your advice for them? Oh, man. (laughs) First, find people where you can be, who you can be authentic with. Mm -hmm. Because hiding it, it's, I think anything that we hide, one, will eventually come out in some destructive kind of way, whether it's a medical issue or behavior or something like that. And I also think that the things that we hide are also what Satan uses to keep us in shame. Mm. So get around people, seek them out that are like you, because then the true you gets to come out. That's where, you know, that's where some of the therapy happens when we voice things, we can either kill them or give them life. You know, like when I, when I talk through some of the stuff that's happened, it's I'm able to put some of it to bed and come to a place of forgiveness and acceptance and now use it for something good. So I think the one thing would be get around people that are like you, where you can be authentic and you're not judged and they accept and then, and you can laugh about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your secret with us and taking us through your journey. I'm so grateful. Thank you. I love what you're doing. Oh, thanks. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you'd like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.